0: Jake smiles, the first in a long time. The ant had just figured out a part of the chess game. I love this so much. Yeah, it's really cool. That is some fucking A-class sci-fi. <laughs> and it's also like really just interesting like narrative. Just like, oh, and I, I love the moment where the pieces start clicking together as well. Like it's part mm-hmm. of why I love heist stuff, but like it's like getting a new perspective. Yeah, just like oh, 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 I see. Mm-hmm. But like it's also just because up to this point, all we've like we've seen the yrks, we've seen the Arn and the Hawkbushier. and now like it feels like seeds laid to meeting the escort, mm-hmm. who are like both of those and yeah they're kind of shitty ass for treaty people but like they created a better way to live for themselves Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's incredibly cool
1: yeah it's it's one of the things that i wonder about reading this book is where in
2: space-time the escort exist because like we know in space they are very far
1: from the the current
2: happenings of the rest of the yeah. series
1: mm-hmm. um
2: but we also like if these are an offshoot if the question is are the escort are the Yort their own thing that in that evolved separately from the yurks in which case that says interesting things about the way things evolve in this galaxy mm-hmm. or are the yort actually yurks that have modified themselves and i suppose
0: because we we never get a lot of detail about what exactly candrona is mm-hmm. um if yeah. it was like the specific like the whole uh, a kryptonian raised under an earth sun gets superpowers because it's a different kind of star.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so you have to assume that unless there are multiple places that have whatever produces candrona, and like there's mm-hmm. no reason there couldn't be. Right? It's it's like how we see like okay, yeah, there's atmospheres on various moons in our own solar system that could in theory support life if we mm-hmm. could get there in a human lifetime. But there is something like imagine if it's like just a different planet, or even if it is just like on the other on another arm of the of the Milky Way, mm-hmm. or, like, on the on the tipmost of one of the other spirals. Yeah, there's the same kind of star producing the same kind of candrona.
1: Hmm.
0: And people just like, oh well, like okay, well we could go conquering, but that's uh, that just seems like a lot of work <laughs> for not a lot of payout. Yep. War is expensive. How about we just make the perfect host? Except it mm-hmm. won't be a host, and we'll just make a. We'll make it so they need us, and we need them, and everyone's happy. Mm-hmm. And this becomes interesting because we see in a little bit um, that uh, there are literally like the guild of shoppers in mm-hmm. on the Escot homeworld. world. It's just like well, somebody has to buy what we make, mm-hmm. and while. Capitalism bad. Don't get me wrong, but the fact that the escort fully understand that like push and pull, there needs to be both, mm-hmm. and it's just, it's almost a very enlightened way of being, while also being just like, hey, stuff is great. Give me your
2: hair, and I'll <laughs> give you this. Yeah, and also thinking about like they trade in memories, mm-hmm. which
1: are probably their. Most
2: uh, e- expensive currencies, the most valuable yeah. currencies. Valuable—that's the word I was looking for. Um, mm-hmm. Because, like, it—it it makes sense if they're if they come from a species
1: that would
2: occupy many different minds
1: mm-hmm.
2: in a lifetime, and like grow from experiencing those different memories
1: mm-hmm. um and it's just it's
0: cool see this is the kind of stuff that makes me love these books so much i get so frustrated when stuff is poorly written mm-hmm. because it's just like you see how good this is this is for all like how fucking ridiculous these aliens look but it makes you want just like oh so which part of that is a result of the fact that like you know when somebody tries to cut their own hair sometimes Mm -hmm. things end up a little wonky because it's hard to get the right perspective when you're the one doing it (laughs) that but like on a larger full body scale but Mm -hmm. i'm just very delighted and charmed and also Incredibly engaged with this. Mm-hmm. This is why I like sci-fi. Is shit like this. Yeah, <sighs> it's good. And I'm not a science person. <laughs> I am. I am humble humanities person. Yeah, that's being gracious when I'm a theatre kid. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> I know but what yeah, I'm about. It's... But and but yeah, the kids have this revelation, and like Jay's like, oh. I get it. Or even, I get some of what this is. Mm-hmm. And sometimes just knowing a part of it is enough to get that perspective. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the kids don't have time to dwell uh, or even process this information a little bit more fully because uh, poison is seeping into the room. Yep, um, The Howlers have found them um, and they're using... Um, like an insecticide. So mm-hmm. insect morphs out. Um, but they're able to figure out between them, uh, between Eric's, uh, holograms that they're going to, um, and there's some back and forth about because Eric can't do something that would actively hurt the howlers, mm-hmm. but they're able to make it look like they're flying out of one window when in fact they fly out of a different window. Mm hmm. Um, Because they're about um, not quite five stories up because it says five times your own height. We know Jake's the tall one, but -hmm. it's still like a decent chunk of height up.
2: Yep. Uh, But they all morph to bird and they get out of the building. Um, But they only have like a couple seconds head start before the howlers notice what's going on um, and begin firing at them. Um Rachel gets dinged by a dragon beam um and uh they all kind of dive into the maze of trees and bushes and escort um and the the howlers are firing the Fletchett guns um it is just a madhouse, um yeah, I mean Cassie gets when I say winged like fully
0: has one of her wings disintegrated by a dragon beam.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh hits the ground. Um and Jake like dives down uh after her.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: attacking the howler that would uh go sort of like finish Cassie off. Mm-hmm. Um and in the process, uh he sort of Jake um lands in the arms of one of these warmaker escort, mm-hmm. um, but uh, and the howler looks pleased about this, but then can't shoot Jake because it would injure the escort. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Jake uses the, the hesitation, um, flaps his wings, and the warmaker just the escort just like shoves him away, and then he and his friends attack the howler. Um, mm-hmm. And because the howler can't attack back because of the rules of engagement, the uh, the escort are able to sort of like just like they're just like they're just like butting heads and stuff. And but Jake's like they can't kill the escort; use them for cover. Um, but uh, and he's telling Cassie that she needs to do more, but she's like way ahead of him, <laughs> just mm-hmm. like yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, which. But although she's able to do that, she's sounding like she's pretty like stunned. Yeah, she's she's demorphing um, on instinct. Yeah. Um. But and um. He's like, and Jake doesn't want to leave Cassie, but the others are running for their lives. Uh, Jake mm-hmm. needs to get to them. Um, and he's like, he can't leave Cassie. Uh, if he stays he'll lead uh, this last howler to her and um, she's like she's too days she's losing too much blood she's sinking too fast to finish demorphing and we have this moment of no choice jake you can't help you can only hurt and he takes flight feeling like my heart was being ripped from my body have to help the others i told myself that's your duty help them you can't help cassie anymore
1: and it's just like fucking hell Uh uh-huh the girl he cares about more than himself
0: Mm Mhm. and the howlers meanwhile are leaping from tree to tree three birds in the air so he knows somebody's missing the edge of the platform is only a mile away and Jake decides, if they want to chase someone, let's see how fast they are. Uh, we get some fun facts about peregrine
1: falcons. Hm. Um, and
0: he decides, like, fuck it. And this, although what he does pull out of it, this is a very kamikaze sort of maneuver mm-hmm. that he's pulls here. Because uh, he gets he builds altitude, saying he won't need energy later. There wasn't going to be a later. Cassie is down, Rachel is down, um, but he's going to take out a howler. So uh, he is able to uh, get enough altitude, uh, gets catches a headwind, and then dives, uh, attacks the howler that was uh, ripping after Tobias. Um, and he's able to keep flying keeps his momentum going um able to rake another howler who just drops mark dropped marco yelling at marco to demorph and um the uh the howlers don't take well to uh having (laughs) their butts remotely kicked um because three of them are immediately converging on jake Mm -hmm. uh Heedless in heedless pursuit of the little creature who had dared to hurt them, Uh, and he leads them on a merry chase Mm -hmm. Um, down to the walkway. He's getting tired, there's bursts of uh, fire. Um, but he's leading round to the edge of the platform and he lures one of these hellers out until they run out literally over the edge, full on. Wily e. coyote style, mm-hmm. um, and then begins to fall miles above the ground. And then it hit me: now was the time. I was in the right place and in the right morph. Down he fell, quickly achieving maximum falling velocity, which, in the gravity of the escort world, as it turned out, was less than two hundred miles an hour. Which, at the top of the chapter, was uh the speed uh jake mentioned of the uh, what a Peregrine falcon is able to achieve when in a dive mm-hmm
2: he this is napa yeah <laughs> this is this is pretty dope uh he dives down after the howler grabs onto it with his talons and begins to demorph uh basically riding the howler on the way down um And, uh, he demorphs, uh, and as, as he gets bigger, the howler realizes that someone is on top of him, uh, and begins to like react to this. Um, but Jake is able to like bat away the dragon beam. Uh, I like this detail. It fell twirling beside us five feet away and a million miles out of reach. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, the howler, uh, starts to howl but jake has already begun the acquiring trance and uh the torpor falls over the howler um and as jake keeps his grip on the howler he uses his free hand to strip away every single one of the howler's weapons and throws them out uh into the air uh and then this he pushes is away such a cool visual
0: like he's riding this howler down into the void throwing out weapons this and just it's so good yep but then there is that that pushing away he's able to catch a little bit of air he starts windmilling and uh he windmills his arms trying to stabilize but it was a foolish instinct i calmed down and began to morph and the ground is obviously getting closer Mm -hmm. so close it was if the if the It was as if at the end we were moving faster and faster, as if the last half of the fall took only a tenth as long as the first half. Fear distorts reality. Reality was plenty distorted. (laughs) Um, Thankfully, because Jake shoved himself away, he's far enough away from the howler uh, that when it screams again, uh, it only glances off Jake. Mm -hmm. Um, He is morphing bird. Um, and it was a uh, hundred feet ish mm-hmm. before hitting the ground. He's able to, he's morphed enough to open his wings and catch himself. Um, the howler continues to fall and get, uh, tell the big red eye that Jake says hi, I said. And his wings fell and he flies away along the tops of the treetops.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's just, it's very good uh it's like you know that moment uh in i think it's matrix reloaded Mm. uh where neo catches trinity and we cut to um what's his name fuck link outside like our friend just like yes (laughs) (laughs) like you, you, you're like, you're, you feel the, the triumph in that moment was just like, yes, uh-huh. fuck. And it's so cool. Mm hmm. That is really fucking cool. <laughs> like the book, these books have been very consistently good on action scenes. And this yes. one, especially when the kids are struggling, when it feels very dangerous,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, it can be very, it, it draws you right in. But there's something about the simplicity of that situation of literally just diving, catching up, acquiring them while falling, and just at that last moment being able to wings out and phew, away. It's just, it's so good. Just <laughs> chef kiss. Love yes. this.
2: Yes. So also, there's something
0: to be said about Jake having this incredibly cool moment where nobody else is around to see it.
1: Mm-hmm. Like, but it's about like, Jake does what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. And he's
0: incredibly good at it. Mm-hmm. And for all that he is, the general, he is also, like, a soldier as well. Yep. And he knows what he can do.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And as much as we talk about he knows his soldiers, he knows how to get the results, at the end of the day, he's also one of his soldiers. Mm-hmm. I'm like, he he does the thing, and it's fucking sick. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm, I'm just. This is very cool, <laughs> and he's able to get to the others, and just like realizes why the escort built their towers because uh, the surface of the planet is very swampy and uh, lots of sulfur. Mm-hmm. Um, he it's he, it's several miles to get back.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, A lot of flying.
0: And this a lot of flying and also it's a very complicated structure mm-hmm. um and as he's like okay cool i did the thing and he's taking in um and the the sites of what the, the beautiful city or well, the, the city of beauty it was described mm-hmm. and like the pyramids would have not made the footings for the smallest pillar mm-hmm. uh how like compared to, like the Sears tower would be a tinker toy in comparison um, the escort may have been the most obnoxious species in the galaxy, but they could definitely build. <laughs> um, but he starts asking "What would he find, even if he can retrace the fall? Had Cassie demorphed? Had she survived? Was Marcos still alive? Ax, Tobias, Rachel? Um, and he he doesn't know what he's going to find." Part of me expected to find that the school would be one Howler and all five of my friends. I pictured finding their crumpled bodies. The images drained the strength from my muscles. I had to get back, but I couldn't stand thinking about what I'd find. I couldn't live without them. Couldn't. And then he feels angry at Eric. Because Marco's right. What right does Eric have to cling to his nonviolence in a universe, where the Howlers annihilated entire species on orders from an evil force? how do you stand on the sidelines when evil is running amok? And he just, he's struggling with this anger because, and I think we've talked about this before, just like, it's easier to be angry than scared.
1: Mm -hmm. Like, anger doesn't feel passive. Mm
2: -hmm. And, And uh, And it's easier to be angry at Eric than at himself. Oh, yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. Um, but as he sort of, yeah, you, you, you talk for some bit
2: (laughs) (laughs) as he goes through, uh, this, this, as he works through this anger at Eric, he thinks about, well, the Pemolites created him and all of his kind to be peaceful, to be physically incapable of violence. And it was irrational of me to be angry, but with Cassie and Rachel and maybe everyone dead and me alone, I didn't care. The Pemolites were fools. They'd been wiped out by the Howlers while their incredibly powerful Androids had stood by and done nothing. The Pemolites had not reprogrammed the tree. Idiots. The Chi could have saved them. The Chi could have been turned loose to destroy the Howlers the way the Howlers destroyed everyone else. And then... And then, when the Chi destroyed the Howlers, what would they do next? What do you do with a species devoted to war? What do you do once you've created an awesome weapon and turned it loose? The Pemalites would have had to be sure, would have had to be sure they could rein in the chi. They would have had to be sure they could control them, turn them off. Just as Krayak would need a way to control the howlers. The howlers weren't androids, so how did Krayak ensure that they would never get out of control? And since their job was to murder and murder and murder without pity, what would Krayak even think out of control would mean? Out of control for a howler would be not killing. An out of control howler would be a howler who felt remorse, pity, kindness. That would be intolerable to Krayak. Um, and before he can go more down this train of thought, uh, Tobias finds him. Jake, is that you or some other peregrine falcon? Um, and <laughs> Tobias informs him that everyone is alive, um, even though it wasn't pretty, uh, and, uh, they were able to get to another spot that guide found them, um, and uh, Jake says I do love that- we have this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Go on. I
0: just, I love this exchange of uh, like Tobias lays out everything that happened, um, and Jake's just like, but everyone's okay. Like he can't quite believe it, and Jake's just like, la- la-, and Tobias laughs, just like, yeah, big Jake, everyone's alive, and it's mm-hmm. just sort of like. He knows the important question to answer mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. like Jake doesn't need details status report at this point he just wants to know if everyone's alive.
1: Mhm.
0: Um
2: Tobias say, yeah. leads him back to where the others are. Um it's kind of an industrial district. Um and uh they circle the the building a few times, just making sure the howlers aren't there, but they're not in sight, so they land, demorph, and go inside. I thought I was past the emotion. I thought I was over that feeling of hollowness I'd felt, imagining them all gone. But then there they were. Rachel scowling, Marco looking down at the floor, withdrawn, Axe off by himself, still no doubt blaming himself. Eric with his hologram turned off, an unemotional android face and Cassie. Prince Jake, Axe cried, the first to see me. Cassie was on her feet and running toward me, and I was running to her, and I wasn't past any emotion. I was exploding with emotion. Cassie jumped into my arms, and I wrapped her up tight, and before I knew it, I was kissing her on her lips, and she was kissing me back. It's about time, Rachel grumbled. (laughs) (laughs) So we have our first uh, Jake-Cassie kiss. Um. And it's very good especially like we have that then the next chapter. at least cassie and i
0: provided mark with material it took him precisely three seconds after i parted from cassie embarrassed and amazed he held out his arms to me and said what no kiss for me (laughs) i would not have believed i could feel like a dog in the middle of all the other feelings i was dealing with and in the middle of an abject disaster of battle but i guess embarrassment and awkwardness are always with us No, Marco suddenly wasn't. I guess I'll have to turn to Rachel. He went. uh, He went for her arms out, lips puckered. Gee, Marco, what do you think the odds are? I'll kiss you, slim none, or I'll break both your arms. (laughs) (sighs) Just. But yeah, and he looks around to take him where they are, um, and they're in like some kind of uh, factory uh, that's clearly inactive. Mm -hmm. The detail. Uh, abandoned factory not abandoned the worker guild refuses to come back to work here until the superstition and magic guild certifies the place is free of the spirits of fictional characters and jake's just like looks at marco and marco's like oh no you'll want to hear this (laughs) um what are the spirits of fictional characters a guide whines in what Jake takes to be a humorous way. The simple folk believe that fictional characters are at least partially real and thus have spirits who wander the city, infesting buildings and engaging in various destructive behaviours. Fictional characters. Okay. So naturally, the Superstition and Magic Guild must be called upon to control this problem. But the Worker Guild cannot agree on a fair price, so... <laughs> <laughs> Makes perfect sense. I just... Just... Uh... I love little well, building details like that. I think that's incredible. <laughs> um, but yeah, Tobias fills the group in that, uh, the Howlers uh, group is reduced to six. Yep. Uh, Marco was like, omega seven to two, and I'd still bet on them. And Jake explains that, uh, he acquired the Howler. Um, that it's not enough, but it, it might give them an edge. If they have a plan. Uh, I considered. Did I? I had bits and pieces. Guesses, speculation, intuitions. I shrugged. Yeah, I guess I do. Marco grinned. Kiss him again, Cassie. It seems to help. (laughs) 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 Ha. Friendship. (laughs) (laughs) And, And everyone's waiting on Jake for the plan and he's just there just like, okay, and he's just trying to bring everything together.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh and jump then, in if you have anything yeah. to add and he goes over what they know the howlers must have some kind of collective memory uh and the memories that Eric absorbed went back thousands of years covering dozens of invasions and they never lost uh no biological creature can live that long so we know that they and we know that they're biological because he acquired one so somehow the howlers all share a single memory um, and what the seven, six howlers learn here will be conveyed to all the rest of the species. Uh, that way all battle experience is available to all warriors. Um, and, you know, that's what makes them so good at killing things. But Jake points out no one wins all the time. Not for thousands of years. It's not possible. And he, he compares them to Muhammad Ali and Michael Jordan. Like even they lost. Um, And Eric's like, but the memories I showed don't, the memories I have don't show any memory of defeat. Um, and that is what Jake is banking on. Um, and he asks guide, uh, how you view memories in the normal way. Um, and guide says, well, there's like a little device that you just kind of put on your head and it plays the memories into your brain as if you were recalling them. And these memory headsets work on all species. Um, including the howlers. Uh, And Jake... (laughs) Jake! I was like, all right, okay, good. So, now we need a volunteer for an extremely dangerous mission. We're going to need a rabbit to draw the hounds to us. I shot a look at Rachel and slowly shook my head no. Her mouth was already (laughs) open to volunteer. She closed it and looked puzzled. I will take on this mission, Axe said from across the room. Rachel made a little half-smile and nodded imperceptibly. Uh, and Marco's like, all right, well, Axe's going to get himself killed and the Howlers don't <laughs> like to buy memories. Uh, so how does this help us take out the Howlers? And Jake says, we're not going to take out the Howlers. Krayak is. We are not led into the plan until, uh, kind of the end here. Uh, but for those of you listening along, the plan <laughs> is basically to give the howlers memories that Krayak cannot tolerate the howlers having because Krayak destroys any howlers that lose before any of the other howlers learn of that loss. Um, because that's the only way you get a species that apparently hasn't lost is to destroy the losers. Um, because if they don't have a memory of loss, then they're going to maintain that confidence and that kind of quote unquote, perfect killing machine. Um, so, uh, we cut to the trap. Jake is going to morph Howler.
1: Um, and,
2: uh, And they have all of their memories stored on one of these memory devices that guide has provided them. Um, this, uh, guide is beginning to like hedge, like, this is a a lot to ask for if you're not, if you're gonna die and I don't get your memories. (laughs) 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 And so Eric, Eric is just like, look, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a schematic of how my holographic projector works so that you can like build your own thing. And guys like deal, I'm going to be the richest fucking escort on this planet. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, but yeah, so it works. Um, and they end up in the shopper in the area of the shopper escort. Um, they, they, Rachel's people. Rachel's people. <laughs> they take an elevator to this platform as well. <laughs> and
0: Marco is so pissed because, like elevators, you have elevators. <laughs> We're traipsing up and down stairs, and you have elevators. Guy's like, the elevators are much less scenic. What value are memories of the inside of an elevator? <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, I can un- I can understand that, but um, Rachel, when they get there, just like all of these chopper are, is- cool. and Rachel's like, my people, at last, I have a true homeland, <laughs> and Jake's like. They shop. That's it. They shop. <laughs> Someone must buy what is created in the great factories and the small craft works. And Rachel's like, exactly. The economy cannot function without people to buy things. Guide, you are finally making sense. <laughs> Rachel's just like, <laughs> <laughs> um. So- and then we get this great hackay. They find an empty store, um, like down at the uh, in like a dead end, cul de sac, and they set up They're just like, how do we get words of the howlers that were here? I only have to mention it to a member of the News Gossip and Speculation Guild. And I'm just like, <laughs> I love this. It feels very <laughs> pratchety, I think, is is what it does. Um, yeah. Just like, uh, we get twice, like, um, Legoland meets Doctor to zoos with a population made up of whining bags. no offense guide, who think shopping and gossiping are careers. Hey, don't diss my brothers and sisters of the shopper guild. <laughs> <laughs> um It's very good. Um, but they're, they're, they're setting up. Mm -hmm. And Jake goes to Axe and asks if he's ready. And he's like, yes, Prince Jake, don't call me Prince and come here for a minute. And Jake has this conversation with Axe. Um, and she's like, I might be wrong, but you seem to still be chafing over that first battle. I ran away. He said simply, you came back. I ran away. He repeated harshly. And Jake lays it out from like, look, you're the only one who wasn't in Morph. Except for Tobias, who was not close to the howling noise. Did it not occur to you that maybe the howlers howl is specifically designed to affect the brains of sentient creatures? I mean the physical brain, the grey matter, or whatever colour yours is. And and Axe does like this impatient shrug, this very sort of human gesture. And Jake's like, Look, Axe, the howlers are a biological weapon designed to kill sentient species. When they were designed, when Craig was coming up with that howl, he'd have fine-tuned it to have an especially terrifying effect on complex sentient brains. I have a tiger brain and it nearly destroyed me. You have your very own, very smart, very aware, very complex brain. Exactly what that howl was designed to attack. Axe didn't accept what I was saying, but he didn't dismiss it totally either. He seemed to fidget, like he wished the conversation was over. I sighed. I'd said all I could say. Axe needed to do something to wipe away what he saw as a nat- as a what he saw as a terrible stain. Okay, Axe, it's time to get set. But you better remember one thing: your job is to get out of this alive. If I'm really your prince, I'll give you an order. You do not have permission to get yourself killed, no matter how heroic you think it would be. Yep.
1: You.
0: Yep. I love their relationship a lot. It's so
2: interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it doesn't take long for the Howlers to show up. Um, they Axe is kind of just walking around out in the open as bait. Um, and when the Howlers show up, they see him and they begin to chase him. Uh, in the meantime, in the little building that they found, Jake is going to morph Howler. Um, Rachel is a grizzly bear right behind him, uh, ready to kill him if he can't control the morph, uh, with Marco as backup as a gorilla. Um, and he morphs, um, as he's listening to Tobias giving updates on Axe's really scary, terrible situation, um, he, uh, we get a nice description of the morph, uh, wherein he can see his spine for a little bit. Uh, so that's fun. Um, and then the consciousness bumbles up underneath his own. I had expected rage. I had expected out of control violent urges. I felt neither. Instead, I felt indifference. There was no howler instinct to slaughter. It wasn't anger. That wasn't how they were built. Krayak had been more subtle than that. I had expected the Howler morph to be like morphing some super predator, but the morph this reminded me most was the dolphin. Howlers were playful. Howlers were having fun. You can let me go, I told Rachel and Marco. Are you sure? Yeah. This thing isn't out of control. It's like... And then I felt something I had never felt before. Some strange part of the Howler brain, like an extra sense. My brain had tapped into a pool of awareness, of knowledge. Rapid, dizzying flashes of memory. Horrifying images of slaughter, violence. Not just the Graffin's children, but species after species, planet after planet. I was getting the full, horrific imagery that Eric had absorbed in a different way. But this was worse. This wasn't someone else's memory. This was my own. It was part of me. And through it all, the massacre of Graffin's children, the slaughter of the Mashtami, the Ron, the Nosh, the Nosh, Nost Neve, And yes, the Pemmelites, the howlers, felt no anger, no rage. But why should they? It's a game, I said. What is, Cassie asked. She had morphed to wolf. The howlers, the killing, it's a game to them. They're having fun. They're enjoying it, like when dolphins leap into the air, just for the fun of it and play follow the leader. It's a game. They're destroying entire races for fun? Yes, they don't know what they're doing, Cassie. They aren't adults. The howlers are all children. Uh, meanwhile, Axe is getting closer. Um, and Jake is struggling with this new information. They're what Krayak made them. They have a lifespan of three years. They have no mature phase. They don't reproduce. They're grown in a factory. There are no adult howlers. And, uh, everyone else is like, well, what are we going to do? You let them walk away because they're not adults? Um, and... Jake is still kind of struggling with it because they don't know what they're doing. Um, and he recognizes that there isn't a choice here. Um, he has to go through with this. Um, but still, uh, he thinks, was I pleading? What did I think we could do? It was too late. Them or us, them or the entire escort race. But they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know. My head was swimming. The howlers were what someone else had made them. How do you hate a creature for doing what it has been taught to do? I had gloated when that howler fell to its death. And now, no choice. No choice. The howlers are here. Um, and there's a lot of fighting. Eric uses guide like a human shield because the howlers can't hurt him. Um, but they're fighting the others um Jake manages to lure one of the howlers away uh by saying uh the like the the leader is over here come over, come follow me uh the howler follows him, and then uh Jake turns on him, attacks um stuns the howler long enough to uh put this memory harness on him um slaps the probe onto the howler's head the howler glared at me with his dead blue eyes he leaped up he drew his dragon beam weapon he aimed it nowhere he shuddered he started again to aim the weapon then he shuddered again his eyes closed i stopped breathing into the howler's head flowed all the memories of my life From vague, early images of my mother's face above my crib, to riding on my dad's back at some amusement park, to school, to friends, to all that had happened since we'd taken a shortcut through an abandoned construction site. All that I remembered of my life was flowing into the howler's brain, and the lives of Cassie, and Rachel, and Marco, and Axe, and Tobias, and even Guide, and the long, long memory of the android who called himself Eric. All that we were emptied into that howler's head, and from there would flow into the endless pool of collective howler memory. Is it working? Cassie wondered. Suddenly, the howler disappeared. He was simply gone. <clears throat> the dragon beams no longer burned against the walls of the room. Eric stuck his head out through the door. They're gone, he said. Marco yanked the knife out of his stomach and began to demorph. In the time it took him to pull it out, we went from that small escort room to a very different place. Uh, and I'm just gonna keep reading because the rest of this just has a lot to chew on. <clears throat> He was huge. No arms. Arms were irrelevant to him. He sat on what might have been a throne, or might have been a part of him. I couldn't tell. Machine? Creature? Both? Or something that was neither? He turned his single huge blood-red eye and looked down at me. I was on my knees, human again, hard steel beneath me, darkness all around, but I felt a hand touching mine. The others were with me too, with me cowering beneath the seething evil creature called Krayak. I met his gaze. I closed my eyes, but I could still see him looking at me, as he had watched me, mocking in my dreams. We meet at last, face to face, Krayak said, in a low voice that vibrated up through the floor, through the air, a voice so low that it seemed it would shake my very atoms apart. I kept my eyes turned away, though it did no good. I wanted to stand, but I couldn't. I was shaking. My teeth were chattering. What, not so brave now, little Jake? He mocked. Look at you, all of you, cowering. Are you frightened? I nodded. Yeah, I am, I admitted in a weak voice. But we won. And then there was a laugh. A laugh that was as powerful as the awesome dread that flowed from Krayak. The big red eye snapped up away from me. I breathed again. The laughter continued, gathering force, louder and louder and more and more delighted. I turned and saw the elemist. He was human. He was in human guise. Looking like a wise old man, no more his true face than Eric's face was true. Humans, the Elemis said, as if he were introducing us. Five humans, an Andalite, a Chi. It was a mistake allowing the Chi to escape from the doom of their Pemelite masters, Krayak said. The escort will live, the Elemis said. The eyes showed no expression. The escort will live. Then he looked at me. Sleep well, human, he sneered. I'll be-I'll still be there in your dreams, and some day, when the time is right, you will suffer for this. I climbed to my feet, still holding Cassie's hand. I focused my mind on the howler, and I began to morph. No one said anything till I was done, and when I was done, I opened my howler mind to the collective memory that linked them all. I searched for the memories we had played for the Howler. I looked in the great memory pool for some memory of what had occurred on the Escort planet. Nothing. Some memory of us, of five humans and an Andalite and a Chi and Guide, but there was nothing. Krayak had destroyed the six remaining Howlers before those memories could poison the minds of all Howlers. He'd done what I knew, what I'd hoped he'd do. The Howlers had never been defeated, so they believed, but I knew that wasn't possible. Somewhere, somehow, someone had to have beaten them, at least once. Perfection was impossible. So if the collective memory had no trace of defeat, it could only mean that Krayak had destroyed his defeated Howlers before the memory of failure could infect them all. He might have done that many times over the millennia, always keeping the Howlers' collective memory from any taint that might weaken their innocent evil. He had no choice. A collective memory was a very useful for spreading battle tactics and experience, but it was a weakness, too. Krayak could not allow his murderous children to learn one simple fact, that their victims were not part of a game, but real people, with dreams and hopes and loves. Krayak had acted quickly. The memories of humans and Andalites, she and Iskort, had not been allowed to infect the Howler memory. Nothing had gotten through. No, not nothing. Sifting through the collective memory, through the unbroken chain of horror, I caught a single fugitive image, like a few seconds of film. Just the picture of Cassie running to me, and our arms and lips end. I demorphed back to human, and when I had my own mouth again, I said, You were too late, Krayak. Something got through to the howler's collective memory. What, he demanded. Love. We were no longer with Krayak. We were back in that weird, n-dimensional space where inside was outside and nothing made any sense at all. Still, it was good to be away from Krayak. Good to be alive. You did well, the Elemist said. Did well? Did well? Marco <laughs> echoed. We kicked butt on the meanest gang in the galaxy, whipped Krayak, the Big Nasty, saved the escort, which I'm still not sure was a good thing, and planted a little sensitivity time bomb in the Howlers. And that's it? Job well done, and- Oh, by the way, here's your insights to look at again as we zip through Inside <laughs> Outworld. <laughs> what would you like? the Elemist asked reasonably. I don't know. How about a reward or something? How about telling us what we accomplished, if anything, I said. Yeah, Rachel agreed. How about that? Suddenly, without any warning, we were back in Cassie's barn, right where we'd been the instant before the Elemist had whisked us away off to the Escort planet. What did you accomplish? No one knows the future. Not for certain. But it is now more likely than it was before that 300 years from now, the Yerks will encounter the Escort. They will realize that they are related, and the Yerks will see that there is a better way. That's it, Tobias asked, three centuries from now? How does that help us? It doesn't, the Elemis said. But within six months, Krayak will send a howler force to annihilate a race called the Sharf Den. Instead of slaughtering the Sharf Den, the howlers will try something different. The Elemis winked. They will attempt to kiss them. Krayak will have lost his shock troops, and the Sharf Den will. Well, no one knows the future for certain. Oh, however, you may be sure that Guide is now a very, very rich escort. With a laugh of pure pleasure, the Elemist was gone. I really hate when he does that, Tobias said. Okay, that does it. We're never inviting him over again, Marco said. (laughs) It was a good winning one. A big one. And that night when I fell asleep, the Eye of Krayak was no longer in my dreams. Instead, I dreamed about Cassie. But in my dreams, I also saw that howler falling and falling beside me. Falling still as I spread my wings and split my fate from his. Marco's always saying you choose how to see the world, that you can look at what's funny and cool, or you can focus on all the things that aren't. So I tried to follow Marco's advice. I tried to turn my dreams to Cassie. But even looking into her eyes, I saw that doomed howler falling. The end.
0: So. Aha. Uh-huh. <sighs> How's that for a kickflip into the sun? The <laughs> ending sky. So uh, yuck.
2: Let's mm-hmm. deal first with this revelation that the Howlers are essentially children who don't know what they're doing.
1: <sighs> Cause uh, that's a lot. <laughs> that's so, It's so much. It's so mm-hmm. much. It's, it's it's so insidiously clever and evil. Mm-hmm.
0: And like I, I, I appreciate how Jake described the howlers as an innocent evil. Mm-hmm. Um because what they're doing doesn't change, but they're they're innocent of what it is. Hmm. because they don't know and that is such an because that's what it's like kids will like pu- young kids especially will like pull an animal's tail because it's there mm-hmm. they don't know that that's a thing that will hurt it it just that really did make me like pause when i'm ready to just go fuck Hmm. uh And, like, this is why there was the warnings up top for, like, genetic engineering, eugenics, child abuse, we discussed as a possibility, because that's creating a race of children to kill and die and be destroyed if they learn something other than the game of killing. Like... I, it's a way that I feel like even as a child, I think you could read that and understand what a horrifying thing that is. Mm-hmm. Cause like most, when I think about most kids and stuff like that, like most of us have like younger siblings or maybe even at school, we understand like smaller kids are just like, "Ugh, babies, mm-hmm. especially. And there's like, when you're becoming a teenager, like we talked about up at the top, that um you become very aware uh, about you're becoming an adult and wanting to be an adult and i think it's around that age where you start realizing or understanding just what it means to be a baby Mm
1: -hmm. and to
0: be a small kid
1: Mm because you're
0: old enough to know just like oh that's so far away from who i am now like we can understand the innocence of children and what is interesting reading this as an adult is looking at the howlers as a parallel Mm -hmm. and in contrast to the animorphs Mm -hmm. because this is child soldiers equipped to fight in a war not of their making
1: Mm -hmm.
0: yes the animorphs were given a choice and they knew what they were entering into. They haven't been misled or manipulated in the way that the Howlers have.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But Jake is looking at the Howlers and in that horror, he's like, no, they're children. They don't understand. Whereas I'm here in my mid-30s looking at a 13-year-old <laughs> going, no, but you are also a baby. Do you uh-huh. not understand that you're also a baby? Yep being forced to do something and it's worse because you do understand enough about what's going on to be traumatized by it. Yep. And once again, Jake is the one that takes on memories of horrible things. And it's just no child should have to do What Jake is doing to endure it, to live that, Mm -hmm. to bear that weight.
1: And he does. And he doesn't yet
0: fully grasp that what's happened to him is as much of a tragedy as the Howlers.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Like, the Elemist is no better than Krayak in that regard. Mhm. Because to the alchemist, these are pieces on the board. He just mm-hmm. likes them, mm-hmm. and is less inclined to throw them away if they are a bit damaged. Mm-hmm. If anything, them being damaged makes them better at doing what he wants them to do. Yep. Yeah.
1: It's uh, this this uh, concept of a a group of things
2: not knowing what it is to lose and how that is in itself a weakness um mm. and how how much the animorphs had have learned from their losses
1: mhm absolutely
2: um, is
1: yeah.
0: i mean this is maybe like to give, I'm not giving the fuck boy any credit for this, but like, <laughs> that is why the animorphs were gonna win
1: because they understand what it is to lose and have learned those lessons. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just—it's
0: uh, like. I suppose it's, like, one thing, you know how the whole adage of a little knowledge is a dangerous thing? Mm Mm-hmm. In this case, it's like a little awareness is a deeply upsetting thing. (laughs) (laughs) Like,
1: I'm just very sad about Jake, turns out.
0: Man, I really, thinking about this, and you mentioned earlier with the Referenced like Moses and, um, uh, Mm -hmm. Jake being Jewish. Mm -hmm. And I really would like us to get, um, a guest on to talk about that. And I would especially like within the frames of like, uh, generational trauma and things like that, and the way we carry the history with us and, and Jake as an example of that, as somebody that chooses to carry the burden of this history right yeah upon himself want to get a a friend in who can uh yeah
2: offer some thoughts on that yeah the trick is to get because is to get someone who has read everything yeah because it's like it's bits and pieces scattered through yeah as opposed to like one
0: yeah this this could be something to uh to talk about maybe once we finish the series um Mm -hmm. and talk about sort of like jake and rachel as like i just think about how part of so much of the the, my understanding of through discussion with friends casual discussion about questioning god and fighting god Mm -hmm. and the way jake and rachel question like The L, and not to paint the eldest as like God, but yeah, that's a that's cool. (laughs) That's good pull. So I'm here. (laughs) I'm offering the insight. um But yeah, just it's just so interesting to me, like these two very different ways that could come could be seen as coming from that same tradition of growing up within and the way we fight. I I thought about um I thought about some other stuff but I'm looping back to a slightly different point um just about the view of the chi and stuff like that um mm-hmm. given that uh archbishop Desmond Tutu died this at uh, this week at time of recording and some of the ways he talked about take action and our responsibilities to each other and things like that and just thinking about Jake in that light And his Mm -hmm. choices. It's very good and very sad. Yeah. Uh, And I'm emotional about Animal. Yes.
2: Yes. (laughs) Uh, And then you get the scene between Jake and Krayak. Mm Mm-hmm. And
1: I, I love this moment
2: where Krayak mocks Jake and asks Mm. are you frightened and jake admits that he is but they still won
1: Mm
2: -hmm. um and that is just extremely uh
1: powerful for jake i think
0: yeah i'm trying to and to be fair i think it's a trope that comes up a lot and i'm just trying to think of a specific the specific incident instant instance there we Mm -hmm. go of this happening but just like creatures that don't understand love and so are defeated by it yeah and it, as it, it, but like it's got big that energy because mm-hmm. we we get that line from jake earlier about how he couldn't do this on his own
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that um think and it's this memory of cassie that is what mm-hmm. got through the howlers
1: Mm-hmm.
0: and how Marco agrees to be in this war because of his mother and to protect his dad and Cassie, the way her love of like life and Rachel, compassion for other humans mm-hmm. and Jake because of Tom and all these children are driven by love. Mm-hmm. Even like Axe, who's grew up in this military thing, it's just like the death of his brother.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: and it's like when people choose to do a thing and they have these motivations that are so beyond the comprehension of yeah. whatever it is they might be fighting I'm going
2: to have to see if I can look up the thing that I'm thinking of because well, bugging yeah, the not, crap out of me not to not to bring up she who must not be named but
0: uh, oh that's probably what it is isn't it god yeah. fuck Fuck you woman. Specifically the the the, the wit the wizard woman, not yeah. anyone else. <laughs> yeah, he he the whole thing with yeah, he can't
1: comprehend mm-hmm. love. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Yeah. Uh but
2: I mean it's 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 a trope that she pulled on for a reason because Yes. It's it's this kind of idea, um that you know, true evil can't know love, which I think is yeah definitely an, an oversimplification. And but also,
0: it feels like a nod to that for sure. Yeah. Uh, and let me be clear: it's one of the things about getting older. Like, there's lots of very good narratives where love is not necessarily a force for good. Like, love mm-hmm. is not the antithesis of evil. Yes. Like, evil things can happen and be done by people who believe in love, or believe they are in love, or even who love very dearly. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a good narrative trope. Yes. Yes. And for like the way crack is described, his desire for consum for control is not based out of like anything resembling love.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh. um
0: but speaking of love, do we want to talk about that final fucking line of this yeah. book and how uh-huh. it kills me? Uh-huh. So Jake talking about this win and these dreams and about dreaming about Cassie, but also the howler falling. And just to circle back briefly to the whole parallel between the howlers and the animals, and literally the line of split my fate from his. Mm -hmm. It's just, ah, it's good. It's very good. But uh, that final line of the book, So I tried to follow Marco's advice. I tried to turn my dreams to Cassie, but even looking into her eyes, I still saw that doomed howler falling. And that
1: just love is a beautiful, wonderful thing. It doesn't undo trauma. Mm -hmm. And the
0: fact that Jake and Cassie's relationship for all that they liked each other before the series began. There is no extracting their relationship from this war. Mm -hmm. The two are always going to be wrapped in each other. Mm -hmm. And I just, I know bad things like i'm fairly certain this is one of the few instances where i'll commit to saying something and i don't danielle can like choose to remain silent but i'm fairly 100 like 98% certain that jake and cassie break up after the war even if they both live which i don't know for sure either way but this their relationship is forged in this war Mm-hmm. And being, loving each other, caring for each other, being this tied like C- Jake being willing to die for Cassie without question, Cassie assigning herself to be his tether to humanity to keep, remind him of his morals. It's not that he doesn't have them, but just to remind him of them. Mm-hmm. How do you come out the other side of a wall when your relationship is so defined by those parameters and keep it going? hmm especially when you're children
1: Mm -hmm.
0: because we talk about our teenage years and like there's loads of studies about this about how the things that we love in our teenage years like permanently sort of like imprint on us hell we're doing an animals podcast 20 (laughs) years after danielle read the book series so you know (laughs) this is an example in action but and it's so tragic Mm -hmm. and it's heartbreaking that. Jake doesn't even get to have
1: refuge in love. Mm-hmm. You think and it's too, incredibly good writing. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is.
2: Please, you think too about uh the drawing those parallels between the animorphs and the howlers. How he sees himself in that falling howler
1: in the. Mm-hmm the howler that was lost to its war. Hmm. Uh, and, and
2: even looking at Cassie, he is seeing himself falling into mm. this war. Cause we know that Jake is very aware of yes, his role and is makes very deliberate choices. To lean into it or not, mostly um, to lean in. Um, yeah.
1: And uh,
2: it just—it makes me think of that since you brought up it's the also, comparison. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's like you can't fight gravity. Like, like, mm-hmm. and like how the last part of the fall happens so much—feels like it happens so much quicker mm-hmm. than the first half. Mm-hmm. And just. Also, I don't know enough about flight, uh, for that to be true, but I'm fairly certain if you're at terminal velocity, though Jake arguably might not have been falling fast enough, that, uh, the force that you're traveling with would surely break the wing. If you will, I don't know enough about bird anatomy. They might be designed to handle this shit better. It
2: depends but... on a lot of factors.
0: Figured. Um, but, like, there's a reason why, spoilers for a bunch of classic Spider-Man, I guess, um, if you catch somebody falling very fast, the abrupt mm. stop is going to kill them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because of the sudden stop and the momentum that continues. Um, and it's just... Uh, the notion of Jake seeing himself in a fall that he can't pull out of. Mm-hmm. Or even the notion that he will, but like mm-hmm. knowing how far he's going to fall before he can pull up. Mm-hmm. Ugh, I upset myself. Very <laughs> good. Ugh. We should do like our final questions because we've been at yeah. this one a bit. Yeah. And I want to let you get back to your uh, family while you're <laughs> visiting folks. Um, but please uh dear listeners do continue this conversation in the uh in the discord channel that's what it's there for yes. even if you've never come along before and you listen to this elsewhere join come join our discord server come yell in the animals book club channel yes even if you completely disagree just come talk with us cuz like as you as you have heard we can keep talking about this for a whole minute
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, all right. Possible rankings. Uh, plot. Okay. Anything with the Elemist
0: feels like very Deus Ex Machina in a bad way a lot of the mm. time. Um, there's just way too much. Oh, and then there's literally like a oh, wizard did it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's elements of this that are so strong. I want to give like a solid maybe seven or eight for the plot.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd probably give it an eight or a nine.
0: You're um, kinder than me.
2: Well, I just feel like uh, that is very true of a lot of Elemis things, but I think here hmm. the Elemis is actually pretty hands-off. Um, Fair point. And there's a lot of Jake using using hmm. kind of that outsider knowledge of like, well, the Elemis brought us here, he wouldn't have tried if you didn't think we could win like yeah there's a lot of awareness
0: of it yeah for sure yeah I'll, I'll go with the eight i'll leave it there mm-hmm. uh characterization A like jake right up there like 10 out of 10 um mm-hmm. we get a lot of interesting beats from everyone else although there's a couple of iffy bits with mm-hmm. marco that i dislike Mm-hmm. um generally speaking i really like everyone. i feel like i miss tobias in this book yeah but the moments of him we get like reaching out to to axe his mm-hmm. interactions with jake his casual joking like when he's there i feel like he's very like mm-hmm. as i want to see him in the story i just wish yeah. there was a little bit more of him but i appreciate Jake is closer to Cassie and to Marco mm-hmm. and his relationship with Axe is very important, mm-hmm. um, particularly in this book. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I'll, I'll give the characterization like
2: a, uh, right up there, like a solid nine ten. Mm. Yeah. I think Marco was a little flat, maybe because he didn't get the chance to strategize at all. Mm. Like there, yeah, there weren't was a lot of so fast. Yeah. Um, and like there were, there was a lot of good like joking Marco moments, and like mm. angry, angry that he has to be in the situation Marco moments. But not as many of like the the pointing out things that nobody else has caught on to. Um, mm. Yeah, we see um, him like
0: following other people, like agreeing, just like yes, mm-hmm. that's the yellow mist. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I'd probably give. it I like seeing. Eight. Yeah, ten for Jake.
1: Maybe like a yeah, very good overall. Jake. Yeah. hmm
0: Yeah. Um, enjoyability slash satisfaction. The fact that I've had so much to say about it, I always take as a sign, and I haven't been angry <laughs> about it, aside from calling the LMS a fuck boy. Um No, I think it's very good. hmm Um incredibly engaging. I this book got me twice with going, oh dang didn't see that coming in a good way <laughs> not in a bad bullshit way
1: mm-hmm.
0: so um it's also very upsetting in places so mm-hmm. yeah i'd rank that pretty highly yeah
2: i i think this is one of my favorite books it's one of the I fandom's favorite books um, yeah I, yeah because, i can get that yeah there's a lot in it a lot to chew on a lot of fun action and you know the also team kissing. working well together also kissing so, you know, it's got a little bit of everything. Um,
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, yeah. so what f- was your favorite, favorite part? part? <laughs> Probably Jake's dive. Mm. Just, like, being with him as that were. It's so cinematic. It's so interesting. Like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of really strong moments, like mm-hmm. that face-off against Krayak. Is also incredibly good. Mm -hmm. But there is so. Yeah, no. From an action perspective and a drama like The Dive Mm -hmm. after The Howler. Mm -hmm. I also. The moment where Jake taps into the Howler collective memory and realizes they're children. Yeah.
1: Mm hmm. That got me good. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty much the same um i think i
2: i really like the the moment at the end with Krayak. um especially the moment where jake like actually stands up holding cassie's hand um and the dive is great i like all the howler fights especially the howler mm. fight at the beginning because it really illustrates just how dangerous they are um and yeah, I will
0: say, like, I love rereading it with you for the episode and that moment of the howler, like, watching the morphing happen
1: mm-hmm.
0: and with the context of, like, that's a child. Mm-hmm. Oh. Oh.
1: <laughs> good. good. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and
0: oh, the, yeah. I gotta give that moment to Jake panicking about the others Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: just getting reunited with them and the kiss with cassie incredibly good Mm -hmm. though i think i like the quieter moment of him asking for her and her Mm -hmm. already being behind him yes look my wamp her comfort loving ass is all (laughs) about that shit yeah (laughs) i i I happily drag danielle for their predilections (laughs) but there are certain instances where i'm like right at the table like feasting with (laughs) just like yes good food here Mm -hmm. for this
2: Mm -hmm. so yeah uh i think we we touched on a couple things that surprised you
0: yeah uh nothing that uh nothing in addition that we didn't already sort of unpack as we went
2: Mm
0: So solid uh anything that didn't make sense
2: in context
0: trying to wrap my head around escort, bio anatomy and (laughs) biology aside from that i'm pretty solid i think
2: yeah i mean it's just wild to me that they're engineered that way uh yeah like like the yort must have like looked at looked at each part of that and thought of a reason why it should be there (laughs)
0: Yeah. <laughs> I would love I, part of me wants to know. Part of me <laughs> never wants to know. <laughs> like the David Attenborough narration on explaining the parts of the escort anatomy and its purpose <laughs> would be just so much.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Uh essential Animorphs reading.
0: A hundred percent. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's it's interesting because it has the trappings of a bottle episode. Like they go to a different mm. planet and all of the action happens on that different planet and then they come back and no time has passed. But, but this it, is
0: so pivotal to Jake. Yes, it and is. like his journey.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's pivotal to Jake's uh, character arc. It's pivotal mm. to the meta-narrative of Krayak and the Elemist. And, mm-hmm. and like, because this whole book introduces Krayak, really. Um, yeah, and it it's important that they
1: got this win. Yes, because they get so few. Mm-hmm. Um, and
2: and yeah, so I I think it's absolutely essential. Animorphs reading. This is probably, you know, this is probably a good book that I that if anyone hadn't read Animorphs and was looking to just try it out before they got into it this would be a pretty good book to give them um
0: I feel it's a big ask to go in blind and be hit with all of that law I might say yeah. like if I was giving somebody a small bundle I would include this yeah but I would go fair. maybe don't read that one first <laughs> yeah so, it, it, at the, least not it for is, a young reader as an adult reader yeah. I probably wouldn't hesitate Mm -hmm. i've just realized my my niece just turned 12. (laughs) someone's gonna have to get some animals (laughs) (laughs) apologize to my sister in advance (laughs) (laughs) the parents don't realize it's fine (laughs) yeah but my sister knows me and knows where (laughs) i live (laughs) (laughs) oh
2: Uh, all right any other good shit
0: i'm tired in a good way just i feel Mm -hmm. very wrung out Mm -hmm. that's good i I really want to hear some of y'all's thoughts on this one yes yes
2: uh let us know your thoughts in the discord um or tweet at us at escapital files on twitter um Mm -hmm. absolutely you know however you want to get in touch with us that's that's cool um and if um
0: you happen to be Jewish and would like to share your thoughts um with us, like on an episode. Uh the DMs are open on the Escafille Files mm-hmm. uh Twitter. Uh we'd love to chat with you. Um Absolutely. we do compensate all our guests, so you wouldn't be expected just to turn up and bear your thoughts and soul uh for <laughs> nothing. Yeah. Um Okay, um I'm gonna let my co host go spend time with their family, but uh <laughs> before I do that, they've been Danielle. You can find them on the internet at redtail ninety, including their games at itch.io oh, forward slash uh ninety. Uh if you like animals but wonder if it will be just as tragic with twenty somethings, uh spoilers, it will be. Um, you should check out the animals Actual Play podcast that we are both uh, a part of danielle runs it and wrote the game that we use for like 90 percent of our episodes that is <laughs> dumb kids playing hero dkph pod on twitter and their home podcast is uh the room where it happened you can find that at room pod on twitter season two the bleed appalachia in space plucky bunch uh people doing the right thing there's mechs, there's robots with feelings. There's feelings about robots and it's literally coming to its season finale. And I am hyped. Check that out room where it happened.
2: <laughs> and my co-host has been Jade. You can find them on the internet at Jade Oxford Rose. Uh, you can find their home podcast, follow the leader at FTLcast on Twitter. Uh, if you enjoy uh, really intense characterization and really cool interwoven stories between a whole bunch of universes and, uh, it's just gay shit, then you should check it out. Um, <laughs> we do do gay al- shit. <laughs> you do do, you do a lot of gay shit. Um, <laughs> uh, you can also check out our podcasting guild, uh, Standing Stones Productions, uh, where you can find all of our Podcasts. Uh that's Stones underscore standing on Twitter. Uh I think that's it. You plugged dumb kids, yeah? I did, yeah. All right. Uh, let's let's, uh, do, let's do a clap. Let's do a clap. Uh 45? 45. 45.